Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. We are on week three of uh, looking through Mark, and you're going to find it really useful if you hold it open. Mark chapter three. Simon uh, delved into it a little bit last week. He kind of stole the uh, bit at the beginning, and I was like, you've stolen the easy bit, thank you. Uh, And then he went on a stag do. I'll say more about that in a moment. But we're going to look through Mark chapter 3, and we're going to think today about what this has got to say about Jesus, but also what it is saying about each of us. Jesus, no filter. We're introduced to a number of uh, key players in this uh, passage, and they kind of split into two groups, if I'm going to generalize. Those that got it, the disciples that were called, and those that didn't get it at all. I'm going to call them the crowd today, but that included the teachers of the law, like Simon talked about last week. It talks about the biological family of Jesus, who at this point don't seem to have a clue what's going on. I'll explain more in a while. We seem to kind of have two groups of people introduced to us, and they're really, really different They're a really different group of people. So we're going to take each of them as we go. We're going to start by thinking about the crowds. And the crowds loved the show. They were consumers. It says in Mark 3 that they came from a long way because they heard something good was happening. They heard that there was an event, a Jesus event, that they wanted to come to. So they got on their coaches and they traveled a long way and came to find Jesus. They had heard on the grapevine of this guy, and they were coming to find out what the truth was. They loved the show. It says uh, lots of places that Jesus drew a crowd. It very rarely says that Jesus went to the crowd. It mostly says that he drew a crowd. They loved the show, but the crowd didn't want the commitment that Jesus was asking of them. It says that a little bit later that Jesus entered the house and the crowd gathered, as always happened, and the disciples didn't even get lunch because of it. Scandal in our house if there's no lunch provided. They didn't want the commitment that the disciples had. Talk a little bit more about that later on. Let's find out more about the crowd. It says that they were overwhelming in number. There were a lot of them. And we read again and again, don't we, uh, of Jesus drawing a big crowd, 3,000, 5,000, a number of people who came to hear and see what this Jesus chap was doing. And uh, we read here that because of the crowd, they had to have a kind of getaway vehicle available in case it all got too much, a boat. Mark talks a lot about boats. Uh, It says something about the culture he was living in. But they've got this getaway vehicle because it might get overwhelming because the crowd were all there for the event to see what Jesus was doing. It was a crushing crowd, a big crowd. But we read that the crowd didn't become a true followers. Through the book of Mark, yes, they collect more followers as they go. But at the cross, who was left? Such a few amount of people. 
Even those that were really close got scared and ran away. There was a big crowd and they loved the show. But did they commit to becoming true followers of Christ? A question for us to think about. The crowd were desperate to be healed. Uh, So we read right here at the beginning, uh, chapter, uh, verse 10. For he healed many so that the diseases were, uh, so that people with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. They were desperate to be healed. They'd heard that this Jesus chap could bring healing to those who had diseases. And so they came pushing forward. You can see why he needed a getaway vehicle. But they didn't have a clue where the healing power was coming from. They were desperate to be healed, but when pushed, what did they say? The teachers of the law who came from Jerusalem says, but the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. It's not coming from God. This healing power, they had no idea where it was coming from. No one could quite agree what was going on, which led them to know that Jesus was significant. Otherwise, why would they travel to find him? It says uh, they knew he was significant. Even the demons knew he was significant, it says here. They knew he was the son of God. But Jesus told him, told the demons to stay quiet because it wasn't time yet for his significance, his true significance to be revealed. The crowd knew that Jesus was significant, but their response to his significance really, really mixed. Look at how his family handled it. When his family heard about this, they wanted to take charge of him, saying he's out of his mind. Teenagers here, you will relate well. My parents think I am mad. I think they are aliens. When his family heard about this, they wanted to take charge of him. The crowd just didn't quite know how to react to the significance of Jesus. They saw the authority of Jesus. So can you imagine being there and all of these people are being healed? Demons are coming out of people. So they saw that he was a man of authority. But they weren't willing to bow to that authority yet. And when the Pharisees came out, they began to plot that they might kill Jesus. Who kills someone? Someone who's threatened by the place and the authority of someone else. Their response to Jesus' authority wasn't to bow down in worship. Their response to Jesus, the man of authority, was to plot to kill him. Wow. Wow. The crowd also, though, and especially again his family, wanted to protect Jesus from his calling. They wanted to protect him. They wanted to take charge of him. They were fearful of what was going to happen, probably because of the point I've just made. They were fearful of the ministry that Jesus was beginning to walk in. Jesus stood out And his family wanted to take charge of him, probably take him home and give him a good talking to and say, don't do that again. You're drawing attention to yourself and therefore to our family. The crowd wanted to protect Jesus from his calling. The crowd thought they knew better. The Pharisees here, if you didn't listen to Simon's sermon last week, do. He talks a lot about the teachers of the law. It's not a comfortable listen, sorry. But they wanted to know better. that The Pharisees, the teachers of the law that were coming here were from Jerusalem. We're talking about the guys who really thought they knew everything. If you were a teacher of the law in Jerusalem, you knew 
everything, apparently. And they had traveled to find Jesus from Jerusalem. These guys were the most scholared scholars of, our, of their time. They thought that they knew better. But really quickly, Jesus points out they didn't have a clue. They did not have a clue. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables, in stories. You're so stupid, I'm going to have to tell you a story because you're not getting it, is what he was saying. And he goes on to say, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. This is a really brave move for Jesus. We're going to read the next bit of the passage that we didn't read in just a moment together. But the first part of this passage highlights to us that the crowd really loved seeing the Jesus show. They loved being drawn together. They loved it when he was doing things for them, like healing them and freeing them. But they weren't willing to come to a place where they recognized where his authority had come from. And they weren't willing to name it and say, yeah, I'm going to follow you, whatever the cost. And so then we get this next bit. And what I'd love you to do, just so we all stay warm because it's freezing in here, with the person next to you, I'd like you to read the next passage together. This is not an easy passage, okay? So that's why we need to read it for ourselves. So we are on page 1004 in the Pew Bibles, if you've not got one open already. Mark chapter 3, and I would like you to read verses 20 to 30 with the person next to you. Go for it. Shout bingo when you're done or something. Give me a wave. Ah, These guys are done. Well done, guys. House, he said house. (laughs) Everyone got that then? Don't need to talk about it, right? It's all sorted. Easy passage. Easy. Brilliant. Okay. So the crowd have been presented as somebody, a group of people that don't know who Jesus is. They've got absolutely no idea. They're not really sure who sent him, but they recognize he's got some authority to do some stuff. And they're really not sure of what he's come to do. They're questioning what's this ministry that he is beginning to walk into. It scares them. They're nervous. They feel threatened. Jesus here is presented as somebody who is very clear in his understanding of what he has come to do, who he is sent from, and who he is sent to. Jesus is not threatened by the crowd in any way. And so then he says these really uncomfortable words to people who do not get it at all. Excellent. Thanks, Jesus. And I get to preach on it. So brilliant. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is reminding them that his authority comes from God alone. He is saying, I am sent from God. I am not sent from Satan. If Satan imposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, he says. He says, my power does not come from Satan and the powers of darkness like you're accusing me of. I cannot drive out darkness with darkness. The only thing I can drive out darkness with is light, with truth 
and with the authority that the creator of the universe has given me. They're questioning his authority, and in one foul swoop, he says, I have not come from Satan. I am not operating in darkness. I have come from the one who created the light to be the light. Number two, though, before I get a bit carried away with that one, which I could, Jesus reminds them, watch and see what I'm about to do. So that little story he shares about the strong man is a picture of what he is about to do that we will celebrate in two weeks' time on Resurrection Sunday. It's a picture of a strong man's house. And this strong man's house has obviously got lots of things in it that are worth taking back. The picture is of someone who comes into that strong man's house, ties them up forever, weakens them in every single way, and steals all the treasure. Satan is presented as someone who has stolen too much from the people of God. He is presented here as someone who has stolen their freedom, stolen their understanding of who God is, stolen their understanding of who they are created to be. And Jesus is saying in a story that he would later live, I am going to steal that all back. And I am going to, for once, put an end to Satan's games. And I am going to defeat everything about him. I'm going to take him. Someone could say hallelujah. I'm very happy that you do that right now. Okay? Because in two weeks' time, on Resurrection Sunday, we are celebrating that that Satan has no power over those who follow Jesus Christ, and that he has no power over death, and that we can know exactly who we are in Christ because of what God has done for us by showing great love to us, okay? This is a little picture of what we're about to walk into and celebrate. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has completely removed all of Satan's power. Thank you. The strong man that is mentioned here is tied up eternally and therefore, as loved children of God, we do not need to fear him because Jesus has all authority and we can know who we are, we can live in freedom, we can be healed, we can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Now he's telling the crowd this. What are the crowd living in? They don't have a clue who he is. They're questioning his authority and they're wondering if he's from darkness. Wow, this is a big statement. Jesus says, watch and see. Look what I'm about to do. But then he goes on and says something else really uncomfortable because that's what Jesus was able to do. He reminds them to stop siding with Satan. (laughs) Now, I have a new theory on what the unforgivable sin that's mentioned here is. It's the senior minister going away and leaving the other minister to preach on the unforgivable sin. I think that's quite unforgivable, if I'm honest. Okay, I have forgiven him. I did have to text him and say, I forgive you. But it says this, I tell you the truth, all sins and blasphemies of people will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is a guilty of eternal sin. This little verse has been fought over (laughs) by many theologians. There have been many discussions, many books, many dissertations, and many things written about it. So I thought I'd read some of them. 
Would you like to know? No, I'm not going to share it all because it was a long, long read. It's a tricky verse, this one. But most of the things I've read actually say, stop thinking it's tricky. It's not. It's very, very clear. The verse is saying, if you come under the lordship of God, then you are forgiven for everything. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you are completely and utterly forgiven. And we know from the writings of Paul that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Everything is forgiven. But if you keep, keep standing against God, if you call Jesus one from darkness, how can you come under the lordship of Christ then? Because you do not recognize who he is. And you do not submit to his authority. And unless you come under the authority of Christ, unless you stay, you are my Lord, my Savior, and my friend, then your sins are going to eat you. They're going to destroy you. They are eternally going to be there with you. Jesus says hard things, but he always, always points to what he was about to do on the cross. And he says, if you come under my Lordship, If you recognize what I do through the death and resurrection, everything is forgiven. And me and you, well, it goes on to say, we are part of the family. We'll come to those verses in a minute. Nothing will stop you being called my mother, my brother, my sister. It's not an easy verse. You're very welcome to uh, talk to me about some of my very interesting reading I've done this week. Uh, I'm very happy to debate it more. But I think Jesus is clearly saying, stop calling me of darkness. Stop siding with Satan to try and destroy the light that's come into the world. Forgiveness is a gift for the disciple, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And so at the end of that little passage, this, verse, this, this question was just going around my mind. Whose kingdom are you living under? Whose kingdom are you living under? The invitation of Jesus is so clear. Come and follow me. That's the invitation he gives to the disciples. And we're going to look at those in just a second. But if you're sat there today and you're like, I don't know if I'm under the lordship of Christ. I don't know if I know him as friend. I don't know him as savior. Then do not rest until you have answered this question. God loves you. God has stolen all power and defeated Satan on the cross. And because of that, you're part of his family. Come under his authority today and say, you're my Lord and Savior. All your sins are forgiven and you can be free for eternity. Jesus is clearly saying, come follow me here. Live in my kingdom of freedom and of grace and of joy and of love and of forgiveness and of healing and peace. Live in that kingdom. Don't know about you, that's where I want to be. So then Jesus goes on to talk about... uh, Well, no, he presents the disciples. Mark presents the disciples here just in the verses beforehand. And there's very much like there's stark contrast to the crowd. He says, this is what the crowd is like. Have a look at them. But I'm going to call some people that are going to be different. I'm going to call them disciples. And there's loads of things that uh, Mark painfully points out about the disciples, some of which are in this passage, some are else uh, in his book. But Mark's presenting them alongside the crowd and saying, this is the crowd, but these are Jesus' disciples. Be like them. Be like them. And if you remember uh, the list I I gave you about the crowd, I've just got a few things that kind of are uh, opposites to that. So the crowd, I said, were like 
they loved the show, didn't they? They loved the show. They traveled far to see the show on their buses. And uh, uh, the disciples, however, were starkly different. They followed Jesus whatever the cost. They followed Jesus whatever the cost. We read here that they were called out of the crowd. And we know from the rest of the story that they obeyed at great cost. We read here that they were called by Jesus to do great things for the kingdom in verse 14 and 15. They were going to have great adventures. They were going to experience the highlights of, you know, Jesus feeding the 5,000 and being the ones who gave out the bread. What an honor. What an exciting moment. But they weren't just there for the showy bits of Jesus' ministry. They were called to follow him when actually it was really hard when they were running for their lives because of something Jesus had said, when they were being accused by the teachers of the law for healing on a Sabbath and questioning their authority. And they were called to follow him, whatever the cost. The crowd disappeared at that point. The disciples, the disciples were called to still follow him, whatever the cost. And this verse in, in, in Mark 8, I did sneak into the rest of Mark, sorry. Then he called the crowd to be with him. So he invited the crowd as well. And he said to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and what? Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus invited everyone, the crowd and the disciples to follow him. But it was the disciples who showed it with their lives. It was the disciples who stuck with Jesus through thick and thin. It was the disciples who didn't really have a clue what was going on most of the time. But they, they listened to the call to follow him. In times of hardship, this is not an easy call, is it? Deny yourself and follow me. So the crowd loved the uh, show. But uh, they also were one of many. Do you remember? The disciples, though, stand out from the crowd. Jesus here in verse 13 says, Jesus went up to a mountainside. Uh, Mark also lots of, talk, lots of times talks about mountains. They're obviously special places where good things happen. Jesus went up onto the mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. So he said, come. And then this is really important. And they came. <laughs> they came. The disciples stand out from the crowd because of their obedience to Jesus. They heard his call and then they did what he asked. A disciple stands out from the crowd because of their obedience. And he designated them apostles that they might be with him. Wow, what an honor. And that he might send them out to preach, to do the things that he asked them to do. And they did it. (laughs) And they did it. It's about obedience. A disciple stands out from the crowd because of their obedience. But remember also that the crowd were desperate to be healed, weren't they? They were absolutely desperate to get close to Jesus. And Jesus says, no, a disciple is someone who already knows their place in the family. They don't have to fight for my attention. They've already become part of the family. They're already in proximity to me. Jesus called them to be with him. And they had access to him in an amazing way. They could talk with him. They could share with him. They could question him. They could eat with him. They could pray with him. They, could, they had that place of family. We look at uh, Jesus' biological family here. 
uh, and the last bit you can read at home. But he says, you know, uh, the, the mothers and the brothers come and they want to see Jesus to protect him from his ministry. And he says, who are my mothers and brothers? He looked at those seated around him, his disciples, and said, Here are my mothers and my brothers. Whoever does God's will in my brother is my brother and my sister and my mother. You and I are in the family, right? We don't have to fight amongst the crowd for Jesus' attention and healing. We have proximity to him. That's close. We are welcomed into his presence A disciple knows he has uh, access to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's not a fight for us to get healing or a fight for us to be in his presence. We just have to come to our Father and with open hearts and say, I know I'm your son, I know I'm your daughter. Be with me, help me, heal me, hold me, whatever it is that we need. A disciple doesn't have to fight desperately for a touch from Jesus. They just need to ask. They just need to ask. The crowd, though, also were were understanding that Jesus was significant, but they didn't have a clue how to respond to his significance. A disciple knows why Jesus is significant. And their response to Jesus was right. So when Jesus went off on the mountainside, he called those he wanted, and they came to him. They didn't understand at this point who Jesus was in all fullness by any stretch of the imagination. Even after the resurrection, they're questioning that, aren't they? But they knew he was significant. And unlike the crowd, they didn't question him and say, oh, your authority must come from darkness or your authority must come from here. He said, they said, okay, we recognize your significance and our response is to follow you blindly most of the time. We are going to follow you. Might not understand everything, but we're going to bow to your authority because we see that you are significant. Nearly there, guys. Remember the uh, family of Jesus? They wanted to protect Jesus from his call, didn't they? They wanted to protect him from what he was called to do. Uh, The disciples here are presented as ones who don't protect Jesus from the call. They encourage it, they support it, they join in with it. That they might preach and have authority to drive out demons. We've just seen the passage where Jesus was doing just that. And then he says to his followers, his disciples, you guys are going to join in with me, is that okay? And they go, all right, yeah, yeah, we don't know how to do it, but we're going to have a go. And we read later on in Mark of many times where they had a go, they didn't get it right, but that was okay. A disciple doesn't try and hide from the call of Jesus. A disciple stands up and says, I'm joining Jesus in his call. This looks like it's an adventure. I'm going to give it a go. Okay, I have to lay down my life like it said in the first bit, but I'm going to give it a go anyway. I don't quite know what that looks like. I'm joining in the call of Jesus. I'm up for that. I'm up for that. My final point, I think, is quite helpful. Mark writes a lot about the disciples as a group He also writes a lot about them as individuals. Find out an awful lot, especially around Peter in the book of Mark. And we'll see a lot of that as we unfold through this sermon series. But what I love about Mark's writing is he never makes them out to be anything that they're not. They're very clearly humans who make mistakes. They're very clearly humans who don't get it right all the time, but they do do something right. They do something right. They know the one who gets it right all the time. They know the voice of the one who is calling them. They know the ways of the Father, and they try their hardest to do it. The disciple doesn't 
always know everything or get it right, and that's okay. I've got a long list of people's names there, and uh, you can look at them. And I love the fact that Judas is mentioned here. Our kids are learning about Judas today, just so you know, in Sunday school. Pray for Heather as she leads that. But Judas is mentioned here, and he is, even at the beginning of Mark, told of the one that would betray him. But he still had the opportunity to hang around with Jesus. Mark still talks of him. He was still called to follow. And that list of uh, disciples there reminds us, as we read their lives and their stories, they didn't get it right all the time, and they didn't know everything. In fact, they were very unscholarly compared to the Jerusalem teachers of the law, but they knew Jesus. And they were willing to trust and follow him, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. That's quite a challenge. That's a challenge to me. You guys can smile at me, that's fine. But that's a challenge to me. As we think about the crowds, as we think about being a disciple, there are a couple of questions which you could say are the same questions, but I think they're a bit different. Sometimes bits of the crowd get left in us. We all love a good show, don't we? I went to Wembley to see Noel Richards when I was 10. It was brilliant. Who? Brilliant. I'm old. Right, moving on. <clears throat> but actually, Jesus doesn't just call us for the mountaintops. He calls us for the valleys. A disciple is somebody who's called at whatever cost. But there's bits of the crowd that get left in all of us, if we're honest. And as I was looking through that list, I was, uh, my, my personal challenge was, you know, are there bits of my life that aren't coming under the authority of Christ at this time? Wow. When I've sorted that out, I'll come back. Which bit of the crowd is left in you that God is saying today, do you know what, let's leave that behind, let's put that under my authority, and let's move into discipleship together? Which is where the second question is. Where is God asking me to become more like a disciple? So what part of the crowd am I leaving behind? And then what is God going to do in me so that I become more like Jesus? As I leave something behind, what new thing is he going to do that's going to help me become more and more like Jesus, more and more like a disciple, more and more living the way that I'm called to live? They're two really big questions as we come to the end of Mark chapter 3. And so let's just have a moment where we're really quiet, where we say to God, okay, God, you know, what do you, what do you want to highlight to me right now? Having heard all I've heard from Mark 3, what are you saying to me, Lord? We all recognize that we've still got bits of the crowd left in us, God. Love that part uh, that says, you know, we're work in progress. <laughs> he's going to finish what he's begun in me. We haven't got it right. What is God saying to you right now? Let's just listen for a moment. As I was uh, praying this week for <clears throat> today, I felt God speak quite clearly about two people or two groups of people perhaps that are here. I felt God whisper about some of us who feel like we have to get it all right before he'll use us. I felt God saying that's not true. The disciples didn't have a clue really what they were letting themselves in for when they followed him. But out of blind obedience to one that they saw was from God, they said, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. They made many mistakes along the way, but Jesus kept calling them, kept picking them back up. Some of us here today feel a little bit like we've been kind of knocked down, left behind. We've done something that stops God from using us. I felt God want to whisper into our lives today, that's not true. You're my disciple. I love you. I love you. I forgive you. Come and join again in the ministry that we are having here on earth. And then I felt God also whisper about the fact that... Um, 
Some of us try and make excuses to not have a ministry in one way or another. Oh, I'm busy, I'm tired, or I've got kids, or whatever it is. Just feeling a bit overwhelmed, perhaps, with the many things that we could do, rather than actually choosing one and doing it. And I felt God say, come join me. Be a disciple in what I'm doing. Watch what I'm doing. Come join in. Don't be like the mothers and brothers of Jesus, who try to protect the ministry of Jesus, rather than releasing it. Come and join in what God's doing even though that might be costly for you. And so, Father God, as we respond to what we've heard today, come and meet us right now as we sing, as we worship you, as we say words of commitment through this song. Come and meet us here by your Holy Spirit. Do what you need to do in us so that we can go and be good news to this world. Let's stand together, shall we? And we're going to sing. And as we do, just be open to what God's got for you. As you say and sing these words, Say, do you know what? I'll follow you. I will follow you, whatever the cost. Father, come and meet with us, we pray.